back for another episode of either the same Shade of Difference podcast or the newly rebranded McSee Wonders podcast, depending on the status of graphic artist work. So uh, um, I believe that's been the intro for the last two or three podcasts. So at some point, uh, there will actually be a rebranding, but we'll see. Um, graphic artists are, uh, they work in their own time. Right, right. That, that voice, that voice. I have a guest this episode. Uh, Sam, welcome. Thank you. Glad to, glad to make the podcast finally. Been a longtime listener and closet uh, wannabe um, person on the show, so looking forward to this. Yeah, and we have another uh, topic we want to get to down the road with you and, and somebody else. So, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, Sam Condor, who uh, is a, a friend, former co-worker, and uh, kind of ran in the same circles over the years that we didn't know each other. Uh, our paths crossed numerous times that we didn't know it. It's crazy. Even share a birthday, right? So. Even share a birthday. That's, that's wild. Um, now, this is... Uh, this is a family-friendly podcast, so don't say fuck. Gotcha. Because <laughs> uh, then I have to, my, my to mom, do the explicit. My mom might listen, so I probably won't. Okay, good. <laughs> well, then I've already ruined it because I'm not going to edit that out. Uh, so uh, my sometime co-host, John, and I, we joke about uh, uh, what we'll fix that in post. Yep. Um, we fix some of the sounds and background noises in post. We don't fix any of the words in post. You all went with the explicit tag like 30 seconds into episode one, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 There, every single episode has the explicit tag. Uh, even uh, I, I interviewed a young guy who uh, is a longtime friend. He is, uh, uh, I think maybe he just turned 19, but he, he's going into his sophomore year at UofL, and he's been on uh, a couple of episodes and uh, and so I was going to be good, and, and, and he dropped a cuss word here or there. And I thought, all right, right. well, I guess we're going to always be have the explicit tag. There you go. Yeah, well, so, own what you are. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Sam, uh, Sam has uh, lots of interesting hobbies, but, but one of his interesting hobbies is uh, the Appalachian Trail. Yep. And uh, I've always been fascinated, so... Uh, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I'm a uh, I'm an armchair mountaineer, so I'm terrified of heights. But I've always been an armchair mountaineer, and so I've read all the books on all the peaks across the world, and and by virtue of that, then I end up being um, an Appalachian Trail, a Continental Divide, a trail uh, fan. So so there's Absolutely. all sorts of hiking and and long distance bike events and stuff like that, that I've followed for years and years. So, um, I don't think I knew for a long time that, that you were, uh, hiking the trail. Right. And, um, so, so how, how did, what, what made you want to start hiking the Appalachian trail? And then we'll just kind of riff on from there. Sure. Yeah, it's actually a you know kind of interesting in the way I got into it. <clears throat> in a, I'll back up and, and give a little bit of you know history and context. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, born in born in 1970, grew up in the 70s and in 80s. 
Um, and so, you know, every, every young person's main mode of transportation back then was their bicycle. And I loved my bicycle. I spent as much time as I could on my bicycle. And so then as I started getting older, um, probably late middle school, I got to see uh, uh, Breaking Away, the movie, you know, with uh, the bicycle race and uh, just like, you know, one what? of my favorite movies. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. They were big and they smelt of Lavoris. Yeah. I, I use that all the time. I drop it and, and people have no idea what I'm talking about. But yeah. So I kind of migrated away from the BMX bike into more of a, you know, a 10 speed and got to where, you know, all my friends were, you know, dirt bike riding and doing tricks and freestyle was a big thing. And I wanted to, I wanted to go out and ride, you know, 20, 30 miles on a Saturday. So I really started riding road bikes and, as that progressed, I really got into um, following professional cycling. Um, I'll say as a spectator sport, but you know, here in the United States, it really wasn't much of a live spectator sport. There wasn't a lot of um, professional cycling uh, to be watched. Um, so I would watch the Tour de France on you know whatever cable or, or station would have it every July, and really just kind of developed a big. Um, uh, love for the sport and so in 2004 we here in the united states got real lucky in that they announced uh a multi-day stage race uh in georgia called the tour de georgia and that they had um, lured most of the major con teams to come over and race the u.s so at that time lance armstrong uh we we weren't completely sure what he was we had a pretty good idea what he was but he was still the guy uh and so u.s postal service came over and they raced and all the big names. We had Mario Cipollini uh, was here. I, I can't name all of the professional cyclists, but it was a once in a lifetime dream for a guy like me. So I had a, a, a friend um, that was really interested in starting to learn about it as well. And he was into backpacking. So I was telling him about it and we kind of started looking at the course route on the internet. And um, he was like, you know, this thing is this ride. They're going over all the major peaks and coming to, you know, through where the Appalachian Trail is, we ought to go down there and uh, we can take a bunch of camping gear and we can backpack a little bit on the Appalachian Trail and camp. And then in the day, we can come out to the road crossing and watch the race go by and then, you know, do that for two or three days. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. I've never backpacked uh, before. I've camped, but out of a car. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I came away from that weekend of watching the bike race with an absolute just consumed with the idea of the Appalachian Trail and uh, I was fortunate that I was able to pick up a little bit of backpacking gear from my buddy who went with me because he promptly got rid of all of his stuff and bought a racing bike and started racing and, and came away with a desire to not backpack anymore and to, to get into bicycles. So we kind of swapped I guess a little bit of hobbies on that trip. Well, that's interesting and so uh, uh, we're here to talk about the Appalachian Trail but it's 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 so funny to me that we didn't know each other until late in our life, but I I was at that race. Um, I'm a little older than you are. Uh, I can't remember whether the Pan American Games were before that race or after it, but that was up in Brown County, Indiana, in the state park, and I went up there and watched. There was there was a hill climb in there where. Uh, professional cyclists were breaking chains it was so steep yep in the park uh and then you worked at a bike shop that i actually bought bikes from for many years and while i don't remember you i rem 
I, I once told you names of people that were there, and they were there when you were there. So Absolutely, I, yeah. You know, that was my first job, my first legitimate job that wasn't lawn mowing or uh, odd jobs around the neighborhood. Yeah. So now I've we've both had a lot of beer since then. So I'm going to blame my lack of remembering you on uh, alcohol poisoning. But uh, along those lines, we are uh, uh, not being hosted, but we are at uh, West Six Brewing today. And uh, John and I always try to slide in uh, uh, what beverage we're having to drink. So what what are you what are you drinking with? Um, I am having a um, Kentucky Common. Um, drawing a blank on that. I think it was Chanterelle. Chanterelle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Chanterelle Kentucky Common brewed in their new Lou location. I'm assuming by the wonderful Matt Witt. Shout out to Matt. One of my favorite brewers that I've ever come in contact with. Matt's so, super cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, really, really good beer. That's a, that's a good looking cup too. Absolutely. I was uh, gifted this cup cup from the craft brew geek himself. He's a cool dude, man. <laughs> so, and, uh, and I am having the uh, Skybridge Pale Ale, and as you described, it's one I haven't had. Uh, it is similar but a little different than the Penny Ryle, the traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the award-winning Penny Ryle. Yeah, award-winning Penny Ryle that's, that's uh, I guess they still make it, right? Yeah, it's yeah. in their flagship now. Yeah, I, th- I thought I thought it, it was one of those that you see at Kroger's and the liquor stores and stuff like that. So back to the trail. So, so I, I know you kept interested in and your your bicycling as well but um you got the itch so absolutely so you you know the appalachian trail for most people is too much to bite off at at one time so so how how did you start your 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 segments and and take us through some of the history of that and and where you're at today yeah so that you know that first step onto the trail was uh uh, I hiked, uh, for those that are familiar with the AT, we, we parked and we got on the trail at Neil Gap, um, which has the distinction of being the only location that the Appalachian Trail, the official Appalachian Trail, goes under roof. So the Appalachian Trail cuts underneath of a, um, a, a walkway or a breezeway at an old CCC lodge there at Neil Gap. And so I hiked, we did Neil Gap over to Hogpen Gap. And then back, and we camped uh, at Whitley Gap Shelter, which I think also has the distinction as the farthest shelter off of the AT. It's almost 1.3 miles back to it. But at any rate, we stayed there and, and came back, and then the next day we went uh, southbound to Blood Mountain and back. So that was kind of my first time on the trail, which was nice because it was close to the southern terminus to the start, so that if once I did to start decide to hiking the trail I was you know I had a section done that was pretty close to the start um so yeah I just started taking uh long holiday weekends um at the time I worked for a school district and we had uh spring break off every year paid uh and my spouse and my kids did not have the same week off so I always had this free week off that they all had school and work so I started taking my weeks of spring break and any long holiday weekends I could get, and I would drive down and do a three- or four-day hike or sometimes maybe four up to five days and just started hiking and pretty much have hiked the trail south to north without skipping around a whole lot. You know, um, didn't so leave a lot of holes. That what I had to go what year was? 2004 was the first time I stepped on the trail. Okay. And I would really say the first 
three to four years after that, when I started in with the section hikes, um, was when I, you know, I was going very regularly, uh, get two, make sometimes three hikes a year in. It was really easy then too, because living in Kentucky, um, driving to even northern Georgia, the Smokies, that area, it was, you know, you could drive that in a couple hours and be hiking the same day. Um, as I've worked my way north, it's getting a little tougher because I've got eight to ten hours of drive now to get to northern Pennsylvania, where I've I've made it to at this point. So, um, yeah, my my shortest trip was a single overnighter, and my longest trip to date has been uh, fourteen days of hiking. Is that the most recent one, the 14-day No, one? the most no. recent was about 10 days, okay. 9 or 10. But that's one of my longer ones, the most yeah, recent Yeah, because I followed you uh, on, on that one and, and your check-ins and stuff like yeah. that. So so 14 days, what, what segment of the trail were you out for the 14 days? That one was, I uh, did um, Shenandoah National Park and then okay. added some mileage on the front end of it. Um, for the first, uh, from from the start, from from... Uh, Springer Mountain through uh, Shenandoah and into uh, into Harper's Ferry. Uh, I hiked most of that with a friend and a co-worker from the school district, uh, Dave Stowicki. He and I hiked quite a bit of it together. And um, by, once he got to uh, Harper's Ferry, which is kind of the, they call the emotional or the uh, psychological halfway point of the AT in Harper's Ferry, that was kind of his uh, his summit. That was his. That's when he decided to kind of stop hiking. He was a bit older than I was, and, and had still had a lot of good hiking time left in him. But he wanted to to concentrate on some trails other than the Appalachian Trail. Sure. So from Harper's Ferry north, I've been pretty much solo as as solo as one can be on the AT. So so when you do the the longer hikes, do you? Do you take a day off ever and come into town and and do a night someplace, or is that hundred percent on the trail every night? Um, it varies from hike to hike. You know, it depends on what you have. You know, right now the last couple hikes I've done have been uh, Pennsylvania, and especially the southern part of Pennsylvania. Uh, you spend a good amount of it pretty close to towns. Um, you always have the the dull noise of interstates not too far away. And as a matter of fact, from Boiling Springs in through uh, Carlisle and a little bit north of there, um, you're, you're walking within uh, range of easily stepping off and going into town. So, you know, I will. Um, I, I spent a night, uh, took kind of a zero, and I ha- happened into Damascus, Virginia when I did that section. Happened Which is a cool place. Fantastic place, and I just timed it just right. It wasn't intentional. It just worked out, but I came into town on my birthday one year. Ah. So decided to take a day off and uh, rent a bike and do the Virginia Creeper uh, the, ride back into town on my Virginia birthday. The Virginia Creeper is so, is so cool. So yeah. I, I rode that on a uh, recumbent trike one year. So my sister lived in... Uh, Abington. Love Abington. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so I used to take my recumbent down there and ride around the area, and people looked at me like I was crazy mm-hmm. on the trike, but it was cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to nights in town and definitely appreciate a really good cheeseburger when I've been eating uh, dehydrated food uh, the rest of the trip. So Yeah, a number of the people I follow on, on the socials that, that do this sort of thing, they will reward themselves after a, a few hard days or something like that. Yeah. Or if there's been really bad weather, they'll be like, 
you know, I could use a warm shower and that and, was and the, a bed. For and a that while. was the really nice part about the Shenandoah trip. Um, you know, we kind of started talking about that. Uh, we, we, we hiked uh, about six days and then made it to the park and then hiked through the park. The nice thing about Shenandoah National Park is um, it pretty much parallels Skyline Drive. You're, you're actually kind of weaving, snaking back and forth across it. And you, you happen to come out in the same waysides and areas where, uh, you know, there's a pull-off and you can get a blackberry milkshake and a cheeseburger. So the hikers uh, definitely take advantage of that. And so we, uh, since we were, you know, over a weekend, uh, we decided to, to get a cabin, a uh, little Jack and Jill cabin with two bedrooms and a bathroom in between uh, in the park to kind of treat ourselves one night. And uh, lo and behold, they happen to have... Uh, some really good craft beer in the little camp shop right across from the from the um, bonus yeah from the cabin so we had good craft beer and great uh, great cheeseburgers and if you're ever in Shenandoah National Park in the summertime you've got to get yourself a blackberry milkshake ah, all right I'll keep that in mind so so where are you at now in terms of so so you your most recent one was about my, ten days yep my re- most recent trip was. Um, Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania, to Port Clinton, Pennsylvania, with okay. a stop off for the day in Duncannon. Duncannon's kind of got a warm spot in most AT hikers' heart because there's the famous Doyle Hotel uh, in Duncannon, uh, which has a le- legendary cheeseburger. Um, I didn't stay at the hotel. I decided to not stay in town that night, but I definitely stayed uh, long enough for a Doyle burger, fries, and a ice cold. Uh, Probably, I'm going to guess it was probably a Yingling. That makes sense in that in, in, that, in that area, area for, for sure. sure. Yep. I, I'm sensing a pattern of uh, freeze dried food, and then cheeseburgers are like filet mignon. Yeah, and it's funny too because, and I've talked to a lot of hikers, and it's fairly common. Is um, the longer you're out, the more uh, distinct of a craving that you're going to develop uh, while you're hiking for some. For some kind of food that is not ready, readily available to you as a hiker, it may be a filet mignon, it may be a cheeseburger, it may be one of those Hostess gas station brownies, and it's just you get fixated on something specific, and you, and, and it's probably just the brain's way of keeping you. It's the, it's the carrot dangling on a stick. You're, you're walking for miles and miles through the wilderness, and you need you need something to motivate yeah. you to the next stop. Yeah, my favorite story about that is I was I was doing a ten day trip. I was in I was coming into Irwin, Tennessee, um, and you come down. Uh, the AT, a pretty steep descent, and you cross, I think it's uh, Interstate 23, runs from Johnson City to Asheville. And, and uh, you, you, you come down and you, you go underneath of the interstate and then you go back up. And it just so happens that, that the interstate, at the right where you go under, there's also a way station there. So all the, the semis are coming down this big hill and they're dieseling down and they got the, the engine brake going and then they're pulling off into this this rest area and way station and you can see and hear all this as you're coming down and i had that trip had developed a craving for a very specific thing and that was a uh, harvest fuji apple harvest salad from panera bread that's pretty specific. hyper specific and yeah. i was like that's all i wanted and so i'm, I'm coming down and I'm, I'm doing the switchbacks down and i hear this diesel truck you know coming down to go into the way station and i look and it's a 53 foot billboard with a picture of a Panera bread, Fuji apple salad on the side of this truck, and I was like, "Yeah, now I've really got to have." Yeah, one. now, now for sure. 
it's 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 funny how the the brain works with stuff like that. So, yep. so and karma and all that all it, works together. Have you ever been disappointed after craving something for miles and miles? No, never disappointed. But I've definitely like just switched up. And in a case in point would be when we were in Shenandoah and and I kind of had that first time to get something, and I just I was like, I'm going to get the biggest triple cheeseburger they have. And then I get there and I look at the menu and I'm like, you know what? I think I want the uh, the, the turkey wrap. You know, so after you've been fixated yes, on, the on the on the burger, yeah. it, it's it's more of the the pursuit of something that's that you, you know it's hard to get. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and I was just going to say, you know, probably as I've hiked, like I I tried to find, I just couldn't find it. The picture I have of the first time I stepped foot on the AT, and I'm wearing a uh, a very very large, probably like uh, fifty eight hundred cubic inch external frame. Kelty pack with a massive synthetic sleeping bag strapped to the top and all this stuff hanging off of it. I mean, I looked like I was going to be out, you know, in, in Alaska for nine months and it was a, a two night trip. And so, you know, thinking through my gear has had a major evolution. I've, I've bought and rebought every piece of gear that I take several times, but definitely my diet and my food has taken the biggest change. And I started off, you know, with a lot of prepackaged, you know, brand name dehydrated or freeze-dried meals, which were great, not particularly great for you, especially somebody that, you know, I need to watch things like um, sodium and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I've really gotten to where most of my food that I take, I prepare myself at home and you know, bought a dehydrator and I've learned what dehydrates and what doesn't and I've learned how to make a lot of meals. So, so what's a typical meal for a, a multi-day trip look like today that you prepare for because that that's interesting to me because yeah because the the dehydrated stuff i've i've had it over the years on on long bike trips and uh it it doesn't ever set well with me yeah um you know breakfast is typically always going to be some sort of hot cereal whether it be cream of wheat or or oatmeal okay. Uh, then a lot of times I'll have um, any manner. I don't necessarily have a favorite brand of the, the energy bars or, or nutrition bars, but whether it be Cliff or Zone or Luna or any of those, I'll have you know one of those. And you know, I, I t- it's a kind of a joke. Hikers eat like hobbits. We have first breakfast, then we'll have second breakfast, then we'll have elevensies. You know, you don't, you don't. I I don't sit down for a heavy meal. You know, I I just kind of consume calories all day long at an even state because i know i'm burning them at an even state uh so that's kind of what breakfast will look like coffee is obviously uh crucial uh i've settled on the uh the starbucks via uh instant packets those those are the the best for me um and then lunch is typically just a handful of trail mix um a lot of beef jerky shout out to mingy brothers uh the filet mignon of beef jerky uh, so so do you create make your own beef jerky I do. Yep. Yep. I do that as well. I've, I've come pretty good at it. Um, do you, it, do you use a dehydrator? Or you yep. use a smoker? What? I've got a dehydrator. Okay. So yeah, I do that and, you know, kind of heavy on the, uh, the spice. I like things like that spicy. Um, so yeah, lunch is typically, sometimes I'll have a tortilla and put a little peanut butter or maybe mix up some, uh, foil pack tuna. Um, that's probably one of the few things that I carry that's not dehydrated. Uh, foil pack tuna. Pack tuna. All right. Um, and then, you know, dinner is always going to be one of my dehydrated, what I call a freezer bag meal. So, you know, you can, t- you can take a, a quart size freezer. You can't use the storage ones, but the freezer bags and pour boiling water into them. 
and they will do completely fine. And so, you know, you have your, your meal in the bag, you pour the hot water in, stick it inside of something to insulate it, like a, you know, a wool hat or anything you have. You don't have to have any specialized gear. And, and this is a meal. Yep. A meal that you've created at home. Yeah. By, by, and so by drying it and out. A, a lot of my meals that I create at home, you know, are purposely made to dehydrate and take on the trail. But a lot of times it's leftovers of just regular meals that we make at home. Um, anything that's like a soup or a stew or, you know, pasta based. Uh, the only thing you really have to watch for is the, the amount of fat. Uh, so if I've got something that I'm cooking that's chicken based, turkey based, um, something like that, it's going to dehydrate pretty well without putting a lot of forethought into it as long as you don't use a lot of butter and stuff that has fat because the fat will go rancid. But even ground beef and, and, and that sort of thing, if you use the, the lean beef and you know 90% lean or better, 94% lean, it'll dehydrate really well. And so that's just shelf-stable stuff that you have sitting there waiting for your next trip. Yep, yep. I, uh, you can buy uh, Mylar um, vacuum sealer bags on Amazon in bulk, and they even have the little uh, desiccant packs uh, that you can put in with them. So de- uh, dehydrate okay. the meal, put it in the Mylar, put one of those in, vacuum seal it with my vacuum sealer and put a label on it that says what's inside and yeah at any given time i'll have 10 or 20 of those just in the pantry and they're years the shelf life is years interesting i tell you what delicious vacuum sealers are uh they they save so many situations i ended up buying a uh one of the chamber sealers after years of a regular one and it's changed our life because you can you, anything with liquids or any of that. You can we can save chilies and mm-hmm. soups and stuff like that yep. with the chamber and, sealer. And any bit of that can easily become a backpacking meal. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, so what's next? Um, I just I'm working my way north. Um, again, I'm in to the point that my trips need to be probably five days of hiking or better to make the travel time you know worthwhile because I've got to. Got to pretty much give up a full day of travel on the front end and a full day, you know, on the back end. And I'm probably getting to the point that now I'm starting to look at I'm not going to be driving as much as you know, be flying, flying. And, and and that sort of thing. But you know, that's the nice thing about the trail and and uh, and the uh, organizations uh, that that support and maintain the trail in that they all uh, maintain lists of shuttle drivers that are willing to uh, shuttle hikers. Uh, it's kind of like you know, a little organized. Um, operation and so you can very easily find a, an entire uh, list of names and phone numbers of people in a particular area that you're planning on hiking that will shuttle you uh, from the airport even you know that sort of thing any anything for a price right but uh, usually the the rates are very very good and, and so that's cool I, I wasn't aware of that for the Appalachian Trail I, I've seen it for places like the Grand Canyon and mm-hmm. places like that uh, out in Oregon, I've seen that as well, but it, it should have been obvious to me yeah. that that and makes that's, sense for the Appalachian Trail as well. And that's the biggest logistic to plan for on one of my trips, since I am at this point going on these trips solo. I don't have a you know a, a second person necessarily going with me every time. Uh, where in the past we would maybe take two vehicles and stage one at the beginning of the hike, and the other one you know we just walk from vehicle to vehicle. So now what I try to do is I try to pick the, uh, the, the length of the hike that I want, figure out where my ending point is, and then find a shuttle driver that's willing to pick me up at my end point where I will leave my vehicle, shuttle me to where I want to get back on, which is the last place that I left off, and then I'm at my own schedule to make it back to my vehicle and then 
on home. So that way, if I go a little faster on this trip and I get done early, then I don't have to rearrange a shuttle. Or if I decide I'm going to kick back and take make this trip two or three days longer because I'm really enjoying being out in the woods, then I can do that and take my time getting back to my truck. So, so how many how many more trips do you think it takes for you to finish? There's still a few, um, you know in hindsight of, of planning this or in order of not planning it. Right. Uh, when I first stepped on that trail in 2004, you know, I walked away planning how I was going to through hike it someday, which you know, through hike means hike it end to end in one calendar year. Uh, and so that was my plan was to, you know, is that a, uh, wait till I retire? Is that take a sabbatical? What is that? Is it, you know, in between changing jobs, do I take, you know, six months and do it? And the longer I, you know, but at the same time, I continued section hiking. And the longer I section hiked, the more I realized that I really wanted to section hike the whole trail. Um, you know, there is a big accomplishment to be had with through hiking. And, you know, I completely admire uh, all the through hikers. And, and every year I find two or three to follow on YouTube and that sort of thing. Um, but I really like my, my method of being a section hiker because I can feel like I can enjoy it maybe a little bit more, you know, I, and by that, like I don't pass up a scenic overlook hardly at all. I go to every one of them. Uh, if there's a promise of a really nice waterfall, that's 0.6 miles off the trail. I'll go see it almost every time. Whereas a lot of through hikers, you know, they've got a finite amount of time to get their hike done. And so they're bypassing a lot of that stuff. Their um, reward and their payoff is the accomplishment of completing it in a, in a calendar year where my reward and my payoff is seeing everything, seeing everything, everything along, along, the, along trail. the trail. And I really enjoy that. I would think that, yeah. I would so think as, that's more fulfilling. Yeah. And so now as I'm getting older, you know, I'm in my fifties now and as I'm getting really? older, <laughs> uh, the, the hikes are getting tougher and, uh, and, and, you know, the way I've done this where I've chosen to do it South to North some of the most strenuous climbs and some of the most rugged areas of the AT are in New England, which is what I'm getting ready to go into. So, you know, I would like to think that I can finish thing, this thing off in a, you know, another maybe 10 years at, at most. Uh, I'm going to have to take a little bit more time to, to do that and because some of these hikes I'm gonna, not, not going to be able to cover as many miles in a week as I could through, you know, definitely through southern Pennsylvania, which is... You know, walking through fields, a lot of it's really, really easy trail. So, have you uh, hurt yourself? Any injuries along the way? Uh, nothing major on the trail. I, I did have a in- work-related injury uh, that required uh, knee surgery. Actually, tore my quad uh, loose from the kneecap, and they had to reattach it. And really, I'm, cu- I'm curious. Before you finish that story. Mm-hmm. Were you supposed to be on that ladder, or was that supposed to be a young person on that ladder? Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be a much more uh, a person much more skilled at being on ladders than, than I, I, I thought was. so. I'm just just yeah. asking. <laughs> so yeah, I took a took a little uh, unintended jump off of a six foot step ladder and, and tore my quad. So that you know that kind of sidelined me for a year and a half, and that was a big worry of mine that uh, that I would never be able to return to hiking the trail after that. And, you know, this, this last hike I did was my first hike after the injury. And I, I have to say, uh, the doctors did wonders because I had no issues whatsoever, uh, you know, with the, with the knee and the leg on the hike. So in, in terms of people you see out on the trail, where are they older than you to, 
to young pups or or is there a certain demographic that you see more than not um you know not really um now in through hikers the majority you have two two major demographics of the through hikers that i come in contact with and that's either uh gap year uh individuals you know after they graduate high school or maybe after a a failed start at college and they decide to take a year off to figure out what they really want to major in something like that. So you get a lot of young people uh, as through hikers and then you get a lot of people that are doing it uh, after a major, you know, late life event, whether that be a uh, uh, retirement or you know, unfortunately something like a death of a spouse or, or something like that. Sure. And they'll, they'll t- or a divorce. So they'll take that as an opportunity to do the trail. Yeah, but, I've- but you really, I mean, demographics, don't exist as much and you know it's something i've seen a, a pretty significant change of on the, on the trail you know it used to be very specific early on when i hiked and it's really picked up ground long distance hiking has picked up ground and you know as a yeah, pretty I mean, mainstream you're, you're almost 20 years into it so so i would yeah. say you've seen a lot yeah yeah and it's funny you know thinking i work in a very technology you know forward career and, and technology is a big part of my life and that's a big part of why i go on these trips is to kind of get away from that and i was kind of thinking through the other day of how my technology usage has evolved as i've hiked and that's you know that's a big change when i when i first started you know i had a pretty large uh, uh nextel uh push to talk you know cell phone that was a you know a big yellow brick uh, that I put in my backpack more for my wife's peace of mind than my own because I knew that cell reception in the backcountry was laughable that, you know, that we would even think that at that point in time in 2004 that it would exist or that we would ever get there. And now, you know, cell phone coverage is almost universal. Uh, it's very, very rare that I have a, a day on the trail that I don't have two or three periods of time where I have cell phone access. So, you know, that, that has changed, um, you know, early on, I didn't take anything but a, a cell phone that was powered off in a, in a battery-operated flashlight. Uh, now I've got a, you know, a, a small tablet that I use to read and has my guidebooks and all that on it, and and of course a phone that has GPS and and all that if I need it. And then uh, the 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 way my wife lets me uh, take that amount of time and be away is I have a. Uh, little personal locator beacon that every day I can, when I get to camp, I can push a button and whether I have cell phone coverage or not, she gets a message that I'm okay and, and a pin drop as to where I'm at. Since I'm a gear guy, which which brand are, of that are you using? I've, I've got a, a Gen 1 spot that I still use. Wow, so it's the, the, and it still the, works. It still works and I can still get the their plan and big, big fan of Spot and what they do, and, and they just keep it making it more and more accessible and affordable for hikers. Yeah, the some of their newer stuff is just amazing yeah, two-way compared to the now. Gen 1. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, interesting. And, uh, of course, your iPhone now has has more emergency features than, than your last model had. Yep. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, I still, I try to unplug. That's the whole reason why I go out sure. there anyway. So. Uh, but you know, used to carry a separate camera and a separate this and a separate that, and you know now the phones we carry have everything in it that we want. How how many pictures do you take? Do you spend much time capturing that for memories? I do. Um, I kind of early on started um, where I tried to take really. It wasn't so much about the you know the quantity as it was the quality, and I I made sure like every state that I've been in when I hit. 
and you never know where it's going to be. You might think you know where it's going to be, but every state you're just going to hit a spot that in that moment just defines that section of trail or that state. And I'll take a picture, and every single one of those I've had end up getting you know made into a print and then professionally framed. So I've got a, a memorable picture from each state. So oh, that's cool. I don't take a lot of pictures, but I take you know whenever I see something that I really really you know, love, I'll take a picture. And so these are in your house. You frame them and put them up. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, and I've tried over the years the, you know, vlogging thing a little bit. And, yeah, I don't want a camera on me all the time. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But, y- you know, if you were doing your own uh, YouTube uh, channel, you might be able to quit your job. There, There's enough of those out there already. So they don't need to see another another guy out there maybe i'll tell you what i i uh, i enjoy this i enjoy seeing all the people doing the things i uh, i i learned so much from those youtube channels absolutely and and the people doing those things the uh, w- one of the things i follow and not to get us off track but uh, the tour divide race every year is the continental divide uh, uh mountain bike race and it's it's really an endurance race, and and it's all self supported. You can't have anybody even help you change a flat tire, and uh, and it's over um, similar terrain, maybe worse terrain than the Appalachian Trail, and and I'm just mesmerized by that every year, and I'm happy that people yeah. document those things. For sure, yeah. You find a really good vlogger on anything like that, you know. It's it for me. It's living vicariously, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, and I really enjoy like watching uh, hikers when they start off in Springer uh, every year and being able to see familiar places and then bringing back stories of when I was at that spot. And then I like it whenever they get a little bit more north of where I have where I am right now, and I get to see what's coming up. So I love hearing stories from people like you. I, I my idea of camping is having to stay at a day's end. <laughs> So, uh, so, but, but I'm fascinated by, by the people that do it and their experiences. Uh, and so that's super cool. So a handful of more questions and then maybe, uh, you can jump in for anything I I didn't ask. So, so I'm curious a couple of things. So maybe the craziest or wildest thing you've seen on the trail and along those lines right now, I, I, before I even ask you, if you do a podcast, Either a video I saw or a, a blog I follow, but somebody was commenting on a section of the trail right now where there, um, where bears are a problem, and it seemed like it was maybe in the North Carolina, Southern Virginia area, but I, I, I don't recall. Or do you follow the news like that where there are problems on the trail and yeah, and and how does that impact? your decision-making process? Sure. Um, and again, um, you know, for anybody that's maybe this is something they've had in their head and they don't know how to get started or they have questions like this, uh, start by going to AppalachianTrail.org. Uh, that's the website for the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Uh, and they are the, um, they're sort of the, 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 the sanctified uh, official stewards of the trail uh, from a, a national standpoint. Um, but then the trail itself is maintained by clubs all along the route. Um, and so at the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, they will have a trail news section with updates. And it will be about areas that maybe they've had a problem bear or there is high level of locals that are coming on the weekends and 
staying at a particular shelter and it becomes a party zone, they will they will update that sort of thing and make you aware. Uh, if there's a particular parking area that's had a high level of break-ins recently, stuff like that. So it's a really good um, source of information right now. It's easily accessible from your mobile device. Uh, on top of that, there's a really, really good app. Um, it's called Far Out, uh, formerly Gut Hooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, it's the sort of the de facto app and, and sort of social media platform for hikers. It's how they share information. And so you have crowdsourced information. Uh, hey, I was at uh, Cherry Knob Shelter last night and we had a bear come really close. Uh, so, you know, you see that, but, um, you know, bears are just another part of, uh, of being out there. There's, there's probably a whole lot more dangers uh, in the bloodborne diseases that you may get from a tick that's a lot more common than bears. Sure. Uh, so, you know, just be aware. Um, I've seen probably six to eight bears in my trips. I've hiked a little over halfway, so I'm, I'm over the 1,100-mile mark at this point, and I've probably come come in uh, contact with six or eight bears uh some of them as close as 20 yards away and every single bear experience has gone the same way just as soon as that bear is aware that i'm in the area they're not they leave um that's typical you know black bear behavior sure so not a concern but yeah but i definitely will will you know and and there's concerns like there's a section of georgia now where you must carry your food in a bear proof container it's it's you know the regulation of the trail so you you have to be aware of that sort of stuff to to hike responsibly good deal so strangest thing wildest thing you've seen on the trail got a great story uh so it was actually uh the the hike where i continued on north from the uh where I, I hiked for the tour to Georgia, we, we got on at uh, Hogpen Gap. Uh, this would have been you know probably six or eight months later. We went back for another hike, and immediately getting on the trail. And, and at this point, you know, I was fairly new to still new to backpacking and, and being in the backcountry. So you know, nothing, everything seemed weird and out of place to me. So this wasn't at the time wasn't particularly weird or out of place. But there was a um, an obvious drag mark, very deep, almost like somebody had intentionally attempted to plow a uh, trench up the trail. Dirt displaced on both sides of this this trench that was probably two inches deep, and it was just consistently going up the center of the of the single track trail, which is only you know eight to ten inches wide anyway. So I just kind of kept following this, and you know was wondering what it was, and followed it for probably eight miles uh, up 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 it was a very big climb and get to the uh finally to the summit and when i get there there's a really nice area to the right of the trail where you could sit down and there were some down trees and a nice little camping area and over in that area i come across a young couple probably in their very early 20s um and they had obviously he had fashioned this uh sled i don't know it was two probably 10 foot uh, poles uh, formed together in a V shape and lashed, you know, to where the, the 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 V shape was what was touching the ground, the point of the V, and then between them had some like it looked like pallet boards, almost like a pallet, and it was all lashed together with rope, and he was dragging this, and that's what had been creating this this trench up the trail, and on this sled, on these this pallet was a small color tube television probably from the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, looked like a steamer trunk, which I assume was containing clothing. 
there were two or three uh, Kroger-type plastic bags that were tied up that had looked to be some food in it and a table lamp. And uh, uh, a very, very crunchy-looking couple. And so I was like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, right on. How's it going? I'm like, that was a tough climb. They're like, yeah, it was. I'm like, I bet it was dragging that. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty tough. It's like, so, you know, what you got going here? And they're like, oh, we're moving. It's like, you're moving? He's like, yeah. My wife, she got a job in Atlanta, and we decided we're going to move, and we're going to hike the trail to Atlanta. And I was like, okay, um, Atlanta's south of here. Yeah, the trail doesn't go to Atlanta. You're going north. You're going towards Tennessee. They're like, okay, thanks. And that was that was the extent of the information. So I don't know what they were out there doing, but they were that was very very odd. And to see that you know early on, probably my third AT hike ever, I thought, okay, well maybe this is normal. This is what I'm going to run I, into. I bet they could plug that TV into lots of places on the trail. Huh? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> strange, strange, yeah. strange. On the same trip though, uh, it's, few, it's like the day later, I came across a. A young father and his daughter, and, and he was about my age, and his daughter was about my son's age. Um, and I struck up a 10-minute conversation with him, and we swapped uh, social media information. And I still talk to him to this day. We've never seen each other in person again. We've never, you know, we've always thought about planning a hike together, but nearly 20 years later, and we still interact, you know, fairly regularly. Oh, so, well, that's super yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we're we're middle of summer now. Mm-hmm. Any plans to to hike in twenty twenty three? Yeah, actually, I'd set a goal to to do two hikes this year: one in the spring and one in the fall. And the spring trip didn't didn't end up working out through for various reasons. But definitely, probably, uh, I'm thinking late September uh, we'll plan, and I would like to do another close to ten day trip um, and finish off the rest of Pennsylvania, get down into maybe even do a, a you know, go into New Jersey and finish it up, and maybe even a little bit of New York. We'll see how it how it goes, how many how many miles I can get done. But uh, you know, I always I always um, plan on X number of miles, and I usually shoot low, and then I'm you know if I get out there and I'm feeling well, I, I go a little longer. So that way you can enjoy it. I, my my experience with some of the stuff that I've done endurance wise on on a bicycle is that. Um, Sometimes you you miss the fun because you were so fixated on the end. Yeah, and you know that's the other thing I like about being a through hiker. You know where I, I'm 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 not tied to a, an agenda or a schedule. It's, I will make a, an agenda and a schedule for every hike, but I'm not tied to it. So if I get out there and I'm not feeling well, or I'm just not feeling it, you know, being out there, or the weather just turns much worse than I thought it was going to be. I'm I'm as simple as getting off, getting cell phone signal. I've got a list of people I can call that I can give them a road crossing, and they will know exactly where I am because they shuttle people to every one of these road crossings almost every day. I can easily get a bailout, get back to my truck, and get home, you know, and then pick up, you know, at another time. And I've done that. I think twice I've had I've cut trip short because of you know one was uh, um, weather and another one was um, I did not. Uh, know that they were closing uh, one of the man-made structures the AT goes across is Fontana Dam yep. uh, right as it's coming into the Smokies and I didn't get the memo that they were cr- uh, closing the Fontana Dam to foot traffic 
uh, and that the reroute was going to add almost 10 miles. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, at that point, you know, adding 10 miles mean, meant adding another day, and I knew I couldn't make it, so I just decided, uh, I'm going to bail out here at Fontana, and I'll pick up here at another date. Do you have um, an average number of miles a day that you've seen yourself do? What What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, my comforts it's not so much hour or miles for me as it is hours um uh, you know eight to ten hours of walking with a pack in terrain is about all that my feet and legs and body can take um and th- that terrain is going to dictate how many miles i can cover in that eight to ten hours uh, but typically you know i'll I will do a day as short as maybe six miles, uh, especially you know if I like drive in. I've driven all morning and of getting on the trail at noon. Then I'll do you know five or six miles to get to the first shelter and go on. Um, but you know, twelve to fifteen is is a day that I like. That's a comfortable day. I'll push it to twenty, um, very rarely, but I will do that if need be. But so, so you have an Apple Watch. How many steps is that? Uh, rarely does the Apple Watch battery last. Uh, that's something I need to figure out how to maximize. But um, it, it's sixty thousand, forty to sixty thousand in a day. Wow, can be yeah. I've I've seen big days like that. So um, that's amazing. Yeah, and you know you think about it. Those there ain't there. There's very few level miles on the Appalachian Trail. I've gone no. through th- some yeah. of the most level in in the early part of Pennsylvania, but now I'm in the, the infamous Rocksylvania section, the rocky portion. So um, when you get even further north, um, what is uh, what is the big mountain range in is it New Hampshire? Is the it Presidentials. The, there's, yeah. yeah, so you'll have uh, Mount Washington. Mount Washington was what yeah, I was thinking Yeah, of. so... Uh, worst weather in America on Mount so, Washington. So, being an armchair mountaineer, Mount Washington is one of the places that you can hike to the peak instead of climb to the peak. Mm-hmm. And the hike to the peak is allegedly as difficult as many climbs to other peaks. Yeah. That's what I hear. That's why I, you know, like yeah. I'm saying, is as I go that you know further north, I've got the, you know, that could be a, a, a full day just to get halfway up or something for me. I don't know what that'll look like. Yeah, and, what, and, and, and at least from my experience, my experience being sitting on my couch reading books, is, is that the, the weather changes Dramatic. dramatically around, as you were saying before the podcast started, water, but it, it changes dramatically around peaks. I, w- I was at Mount Rainier one day. And um, it was sunny and warm, and I went back to my hotel in Seattle, and the next morning, people in the lobby were canceling their trip to Rainier because there was uh, five or six feet of snow overnight, yeah. at, at, and, and the day before, I was walking in green grass. Yeah, I mean, again, if you watch uh, some of the through hikers as they vlog you know, their way up, and you'll see them that... They'll start, well, get get ready to start the climb to Mount Washington, and they'll be in shorts, and it'll be in the 80s. And as they hike, once they get to the top, it's snowing or sleeting, and they're they're putting on everything that they have just trying to keep warm, and that's, you know, on the same day, so yeah. for sure. So are, are there any questions that I should have asked that I didn't? 
Um, you know, people ask, you know, is it hard? Do you, you know, is it difficult? Do you ever get scared? Anything like that? Every single trip still, you know, I feel like I'm very prepared now. I know what I'm doing. I'm comfortable. Every single trip within five minutes of getting on the trail, I start thinking, ah, should I really have done this today? You know, was I really as prepared as I thought I was? I always second guess. That's the, that's part of the draw of getting me back out there is because I, you can very quickly realize that you don't need a whole lot to sustain yourself. Uh, and you don't work, work very capable, you know, creatures human beings are and, and i love being able to be out and have so few uh you know creature comforts in that but you know really all that we need is always you know it's and carry it with me so that's that's what i kind of like what keeps me going out there and yeah i get scared you know when i hear something that i don't know what it is nine times out of ten that bear i hear out in the leaves is actually a squirrel because they can sound very big so, yeah i know as i've as i've uh as I've done this, I've gotten a whole lot more comfortable with just, you know, probably the first five, six trips. I didn't sleep, never slept a wink at night, ever. Now it's some of the best sleep I get. Yeah. Of course, you're, you're wearing yourself out, body and, and mind, thinking yeah. about that Panera salad so, <laughs> or the cheeseburger. The cheeseburgers, yeah. Yeah, so so you got three days to a cheeseburger, so uh, you can dream about cheeseburgers in, in your sleep. Yep. For sure. So good deal. Well, man, this was this was super cool for me. I, I uh, as I had mentioned a couple of times, uh, I'm uh, I'm into watching people do this versus me actually doing it uh, myself. Um, and so uh, I learned a I learned a bunch about uh, the Appalachian Trail that uh, that I don't think I knew. So um, where can people find you online? Yeah. So that's one story we didn't get into. Uh, my trail name on the AT, most hikers end up with a trail name, uh, is uh, Doby Swift. Uh, so my my uh, Instagram handle is at Doby Swift, D-O-B-I-E-S-W-I-F-T. Um, I usually post pictures as I'm hiking and outdoor stuff. That's probably the best place to, to see me there. What, what caused you to pick that name? Um, any good trail name is given. It is not chosen. Uh so mine was given to me by a group of hikers who I'd never met and probably will never met, meet again in the Van Deventer shelter in just outside of Irwin, just uh, across the Watauga Dam. Uh, it happened to be, a, it was a July 3rd, I can remember it because we had fireworks later that night. But we'd all uh, happened into the same shelter in the middle of the day to get out of a very, very bad thunderstorm that moved through, you know, ground strike lightning around us hail hitting the metal roof of the shelter so there's about 15 of us inside this shelter and even though it was the middle of the day it was almost pitch black in there so we were all huddled in there tight you know leaning on your backpacks and i had got out of my um, kindle paper white uh, that i used at that time to read books and had my headlamp on and was reading the book that i'd taken with me and one of the hikers said hey you know we're all bored you've got a book read to us and I'm like, all right. So I just start reading the book out loud. And in the book, uh, one of the characters, uh, he actually builds fly fishing drift boats, uh, which ties into another ha- hobby of mine. So, And he named the boat that he was building the Doby Swift. For whatever reason, when I said that, Doby Swift, when I said that out, they all started dying laughing. 
And I just kind of stopped and I was like, you know, did I miss something? Is there something there in that name? Is it a pop culture reference that I'm not aware of or something? And they're like, no, just the way you said it just was hilarious. And so they started calling me Doby Swift. So, so I will tell you that while you joining me for the podcast was terrific today, I have wondered forever what the significance of Doby Swift was on your social media. Mm-hmm. And I'd even reached out a couple of times to Chris and had him Google for me to see if there was some pop culture reference to Dobie Swift. And I've never found anything. And I'm like, what the hell is that well, mean? If you Google it as two words, Dobie Swift, uh, you will probably hit a reference like a Cliff Notes or it was, I think it was some university assigned the book to their students. And there was somebody that had a, a, a study guide for the book, So uh, Brave, Young, and Handsome by, I think, Leifinger, and that's what I was reading. And that's the book? That's All the right. book. All right, so I'm going to look that up now. That, that, is, uh, that has perplexed me for a while, and I pride myself on being able to like find references, and I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. I will often now just refer to, like when people ask me my name on the trail, I'll say Dobie because I'm not that swift. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Sam, I appreciate uh, you joining me today. This was, uh, this was terrific. I think we're going to try to follow up with uh, you and another friend and talk about uh, fly fishing uh, sometime soon. Absolutely. Um, I'm thinking that'll also be over alcohol. Yeah. A cold beer. A cold beer, yep. So, and I Speaking think, of which, mine's empty. I, I think we're going to have to end the podcast because we're out of beer. We are. So, uh, man, I appreciate uh, you joining me today, and uh, I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you.